guys, and welcome to the Rear Wellness Podcast, the podcast designed to help you heal holistically and give you the tools that you need to thrive. We're making it easy to understand medicine and wellness with practical steps from the experts, one podcast at a time. Our one request is that if this podcast helps you live just a little bit better and more aligned, that you'll leave us a review and share this podcast with a friend. That's all we ask so that we can keep this free and keep giving you the tools that you need to optimize your life and to thrive. Today's guest, we have Dr. Guthrie, who went to medical school at Loma Linda, is a board-certified family physician. He spent 20 years of service in the Air Force, including the rank of retired colonel. Dr. Guthrie is certified in functional medicine and was part of the first class to to complete the program. His goal in patient care is to help individuals recognize what the root problem of their chronic diseases to understand how they can reverse those causes, ultimately leading to the reduction or elimination of the disease. We're so excited to have Dr. Guthrie join us again on an episode of Rare Wellness. We're really excited to talk to him on a topic that impacts literally everyone, the topic of sleep. So we've already interviewed you before, Dr. Guthrie, but thank you for coming back on. Hi, yes. Good, good to be back. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. I enjoyed our conversation so much so much last time, and I'm really excited to explore the topic of sleep. But before we get into it, each podcast, we ask the guest, what is a wellness tip that you've been loving recently? Has there been something that you've just been incorporating in your life? I know last time you mentioned intermittent fasting. Have you had something that you've been really into wellness-wise recently? Yeah, it's the the huge advantage that can be gained uh, with a short amount of time using high intensity interval training as the core of your exercise program, at least the aerobic part of it. You can literally exercise at maximum effort for four one minute sessions with five minutes of rest between every other day and have the cardiovascular response equivalent of running 15 miles a week. That sounds crazy. It sounds crazy, but there's a a number of really good studies illustrating how that works and why it works and including muscle biopsies and VO2 max measurements, all kinds of scientific. So you've been doing a lot of HIIT workouts recently. Well, yeah. So for me, it's very simple. I have a long driveway that's fairly steep. I go to the bottom. And I run as hard and as fast as I personally can. It doesn't look fast to anyone else, I'm sure, but um, for 60 seconds, at which time my heart rate is usually up around 150 to 180. And I feel like I'm going to fall down. Um, And then I slowly, with no effort measurable at all, walk back down to the bottom and make sure four to five minutes has passed and then do another four of those every other day the same benefits as 15 miles i'm shocked 15 miles running a week that's incredible okay well that is super cool we're gonna have to dive into that some other time but since we're talking about sleep today let's just go ahead and dive right into the topic what does healthy sleep look like okay uh healthy sleep is Actually, let's back up one step before that. Let's talk about why sleep matters. Because a lot of people think that, oh, I get, I do fine with four hours of sleep a night. That's all I need. I'm, you know, go all day, uh, drink a little coffee, and, and it's all good. There's good solid evidence that sleeping less than six hours a night of healthy sleep, not just sleep, but healthy sleep, less than six hours a night has a similar long-term mortality 
and chronic disease risk as smoking one pack of cigarettes a day. Actually, it is now common in sleep literature to call sleep the new smoking. Wow. Sleep is the new smoking. So, okay. Right. So this is critical. It has to do with preventing Alzheimer's disease because while you're asleep, your brain is clearing out all that junk that is accumulated in the day. And when I say junk, I mean chemicals and debris that if it doesn't get cleared out, begins to accumulate and creates the scenario ready for dementia to take place earlier than it would need to. Similar effects on your heart, on your uh, uh, blood vessels. Yeah. Okay. So sleep matters. But yes. what is healthy sleep? Like if I okay. sleep six hours of night, is that enough for me? Right. So um, many people think they have a sleep problem when really they don't. The most common complaint I get in the office actually is, Doc, I'm not sleeping well. I'm awake five times in the night. And so I always begin talking about sleep with normal sleep. Normal sleep is that you lay down in bed, you close your eyes, you relax, and you fall asleep. And you do one sleep cycle. It has stage one, two, three, and four. There's different EEG activities in your brain, different movement or not movement things that happen in each cycle. But at the end of one sleep cycle, you wake up. Everyone does. You can't not wake up between sleep cycles. So uh, the sleep cycle lasts about an hour and a half when you begin a night's sleep. And by the time morning comes around and it's you've had your eight hours average of sleep, it they're running about 40 to 45 minutes in night. So to wake up four, five, maybe even six times a night is actually probably representative of normal sleep if when you wake up within 10 or 15 minutes, you're back asleep again. So unlike most people who talk about sleep uh, from a lay perspective, many of them talk about, well, let's not look, I want you to not look at the clock because looking at the clock uh, can get you all anxious and weirded out and prevent you from- You're talking about back. when you're falling asleep. You're saying when you wake up after a sleep cycle, you're saying don't- hey. Okay. Right. When you wake up in the middle of the night, I recommend the first thing you do is look at the clock. If the clock registers at least 45 minutes longer, uh, later than when you last looked at it, you actually have just completed a sleep cycle in all likelihood. Um, it may feel like you've been laying there thinking and tossing and turning, but I don't really know many humans who can lay eyes closed for 45 minutes at a stretch. Uh, so, so you're saying I, if you think you haven't fallen asleep, like if you wake up in the middle of the night, 45 mm -hmm. minutes have passed, your eyes have been closed, and you think you haven't fallen asleep, you probably have. Is that what you're saying? Right. And, and it, yes. And it, what's most useful at that point in time is to just say, oh, great. I'm uh, between sleep cycles. I think I'll get up and go pee because then it's easier to fall asleep. And I'll just go start my next sleep cycle. And that right there has resulted. That right there has resolved insomnia complaints for probably 20 to 30% of the patients who come to my office complaining of sleep problems. So is it possible that the anxiety related about I can't fall asleep can actually make it worse to fall asleep? Oh, absolutely. And being anxious that you are awake and it's dark keeps you awake, which is a good segue perhaps from normal sleep into talking, let's say, about adrenaline. 
Today's podcast is brought to you by the Premium Center for Regenerative Medicine and Stem Cell Therapy in the Northwest, Northwest Center for Regenerative Medicine. Get back to the activities that you love without needing surgery. You can book your appointment at nwc4rm.com. Again, that's nwc4rm.com. This podcast is also brought to you by Rare Wellness Supplements. You can head over to rareplanethealth.com to get your supplements. My personal favorite is the premium fish oil filled with omega-3s. Again, you can go to rareplanethealth.com and get the supplements that you most need to support your health and wellness today. Lastly, this podcast is also brought to you by Rare Wellness. Rare Wellness is located on the South Hill in Spokane and is one center that provides all the wellness tools that you could need. Whether you're looking for a hands-on premium intimate yoga studio with a therapeutic emphasis, bar classes, Tai Chi classes, if you're looking for skincare treatments, injectable, hydrofacial, microneedling, organic spa treatments, if you're wanting to get therapeutic massaged or book functional medicine appointments to get down to the root cause of your inflammation, Rare Wellness is the place for you. Whatever your wellness needs are, they have it covered. So to book your appointment today, go to rarewellness.com. Again, go to rarewellness.com and mention this podcast for 10% off when you're booking. Okay, time to get back to the episode. Can you talk to me a little bit just about duration of sleep? Like how how long should I be sleeping? Now the, the, kind of the, the standard amount of sleep that is thought to be a healthy one, if you want to take a single number, is eight hours. But the range regardless is- Regardless of to- age, regardless of sex, gender- well, not entirely regardless. Uh, young children need more sleep um, uh, to have healthy brain development than do adults. And uh, the elderly often need a bit more sleep and have more difficulty sleeping at night. So they often end up napping during the daytime. But from, you know, from age 12 through probably 80 anyways, eight hours is a really good number to aim for. Mm-hmm. So healthy sleep looks like eight hours of sleep. You wake up feeling rested. Uh, if you wake up during the night, that's not necessarily a bad thing, is what I'm hearing you say. Any other characteristics of healthy sleep, or is that? Well, yes, and it's it, actually it's it's really more a description of unhealthy sleep. If you have had to use a drug, whether prescription, over the counter, or possibly even herbal substances to force your brain to sleep or to make you drowsy, then most likely the sleep structure, the four stages that I talked about are not normal. So your uh, Ambien, which maybe is better named Zombian because it actually doesn't increase sleep, it increases amnesia for having not been asleep. But um, uh, sleeping medications, alcohol, um, antihistamines like Benadryl, uh, Salmonex is the over-the-counter version of that. Those drugs actually change the sleep structure and you lose most of the benefit of your sleep because of the changed structure of sleep. So you should not have to rely on taking over-the-counter drugs to fall asleep. And if you are, it's probably an indicator that your sleep is unhealthy. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So let's segue into adrenaline. Like you were talking about earlier, how does adrenaline affect sleep? Uh, Caffeine? How do you how do you shut off your brain? How does adrenaline affect your sleep? Right. So I like to kind of approach this as uh, what are ways you could screw up your sleep if you really wanted to. Um, 
uh, kind of taking a backwards approach to the question. Um, adrenaline is a normal neurotransmitter in your body that's designed to prevent you from going to sleep at all. It's that thing that helps you escape the tiger and falling asleep while the tiger's chasing you is in general a bad idea. So uh, it, it, it wakes up the brain. It, 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 it does a lot of things. If you've ever had a good fight or argument right before bed, you know what I'm talking It's hard about. to fall asleep. It, yeah, I yeah. know when I've had an argument with um, someone right before I go to sleep, it's just it's way difficult. Right. And uh, depending on if you're a fast or a slow metabolizer, that effect might last 20, 30 minutes, it might last four hours. If you're a slow metabolizer, it can really have a major effect. So in the category of adrenaline, I put a number of things. The first one we just mentioned, uh, save or defer arguments till the morning, not uh, not having those right before bedtime. Have you ever uh, heard, if, have you ever heard of the, I, sorry to interrupt you, but I've heard the saying, I grew up with the saying, don't ever go to bed angry, which is interesting because I've always thought it's better to argue it out before you go to sleep. But you're saying that that's not the best way to do it. Save it for the well, morning. Well, not if you want to fall asleep, it's not the best way to do it. And uh, yeah, and there is an interesting uh, text in, in scripture that says, do not let the sun go down on your anger. It's actually health advice as regards sleep and rest. And what happens if you're churning adrenaline and cortisol during the night when you're supposed to be doing exactly the opposite? So what about working out Does related to adrenaline? Is working out close to bad time going to spike my adrenaline levels and then keep me from being able to fall asleep? That's probably the most complex uh, one of the factors that's worth considering. If you exercise vigorously, a good hard aerobic workout, two to four and a half hours before bedtime, then yes, it will keep you awake. It'll, it'll make it more difficult for you to fall asleep that night. However, if you are laying there first thing going to bed and having difficulty falling asleep, getting up and doing a brief course, 10, 15 minutes of vigorous exercise, push-ups, sit-ups, jumping jacks, um, when you go to bed, you will actually then have an endorphin rush. It's sort of like taking a little bit of narcotics and it will help you go right to sleep. Um, and we don't tend to see after that sort of sleep induction, a, a you know, two or three hours later, a, a greater difficulty falling back asleep. That doesn't tend to happen. Okay. So the last thing was, um, if you're trying to, if your bedtime is 10 PM, you're going to want to stop. Okay. Yeah. If you just, yeah, you want to stop your exercise, your vigorous exercise, have it completed by about 6 p.m. And it's, it's a matter of day planning. You know, what, what does your uh, planning your day out such that you get your exercise earlier in the day, not in the not in that two to four hours right before bed. Now, if you have no trouble sleeping, you're falling asleep and you have great sleep, you don't take anything to sleep and you're, you're, you're waking rested. If you have what we've described as normal sleep, well, exercise whenever you want. It just, you know. If you're having trouble, here's the things to look at. So I've noticed, especially when I was in college, uh, I would catch myself in this pattern of waking up, using an energy drink before I would go and do my workout, getting coffee later on in the day, and then needing to take a bunch of melatonin at night to fall asleep. And of course, my sleep suffered. But what do you have to say about just like, do you feel like with the amount of dopamine hits that we get from scrolling on our phone or just the way that we structure our lifestyle in general. Like, 
how necessary is it to quit some of those habits? Can you have good sleep and do those things? Or is it just impossible? Well, can you have good sleep and do those things? I have to rely on my patient's honesty. And I have had some patients who, yes, say that they have, they describe a completely normal sleep life and are consuming caffeine throughout the day. Um, those people probably have tuned out already and aren't watching the podcast, right? <laughs> They're like, I so, sleep fine, I don't need this. Right, but the fact of the matter is, if you've dosed caffeine, even if you sleep well all night, your sleep structure is different than it would have been had you not been sleeping with caffeine. And when we get to melatonin, we're gonna talk about some importance that has not has little to do with how well you're sleeping, but has well has to do with how well you are repairing all of the war, worn out, broken parts of your body that you've uh, managed to ding up during the day. Uh, but we, we should save that for the when we discuss melatonin. So in terms of caffeine, um, it, it acts like adrenaline. It's supposed to keep you awake. Um, uh, many people use caffeine because caffeine gives them energy, but it actually doesn't give energy. Scientifically. Explain that. Explain that a little caffeine, bit. Just briefly. Caffeine, since, yeah. caffeine relieves the withdrawal symptoms neurologically of a caffeine addiction. Okay? The primary symptom of caffeine addiction is fatigue. So what caffeine will do is take you from a withdrawal fatigue back up to your normal baseline, no caffeine energy level. That's what it will do. So caffeine is not actually giving me a boost of energy like I think it is. It's just taking me back to the baseline level of where I would have been if I would have never started using caffeine in the first place. Correct. And I've had a number of patients validate this in their personal experience. It takes about six weeks to withdraw from the uh, fatigue effects of caffeine. So recognize it's not just the three-day headache you're talking about. No, it's... Right. It's so when I quit days. coffee, it'll take six weeks for my energy levels to get back to baseline without relying on the caffeine substance that I've been using. Right. If coffee is your only source of caffeine, that would be true. However, many people switch right over to tea or energy drinks or other matcha tea or other stimulant chemicals that are related to adrenaline that have the same effect. So I just want to caution that. But having done this at least twice in my life, um, I can tell you for sure that after six weeks, energy levels right at waking up and getting started in the day are the same energy levels that you have the rest of the day, unless your adrenals are fatigued. There are other reasons to have fatigue. But um, from a caffeine perspective, you're back to baseline. And if you then drink one cup of coffee that used to give you finally a little energy back up to where you could function, you'll find that for the next three or four hours, your head is going, ah, 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 because it is, it's overstimulating yeah. Uh, a brain that's in a healthy state. So think of caffeine as a as a caffeine withdrawal drug, and it's good for that. And it's legal, and it's okay. It's socially acceptable. I don't try and get people to stop it, but I tell them if you're having trouble, just sleeping, be aware of yeah. If you're having trouble sleeping, a don't have any caffeine after ten in the morning, and b try stopping it entirely and find out if indeed that was part of your sleep mm. disturbance. Which, like you said, would take at least six weeks to fully understand 
whether right to fully to fully get out from under the fatigue withdrawal symptom of caffeine addiction neurologically will take about six weeks so it's interesting just summarize what you're saying basically guys if i'm having my cup of coffee and i feel like it's not giving that me that ah feeling that dr guthrie just mentioned uh must be that i am somewhat dependent on caffeine because for a healthy brain caffeine will make you feel like you're wired and overstimulated. None of us were born with a caffeine deficiency in order to stay awake, alert, and functioning. Hmm. No one has evolved to that state that I know of. Something. It's a, it's a simple, common uh, addiction. Okay, so if I am not getting the proper amount of sleep that I need, what, what does that do for me outside of just my fatigue? Why, why do I need good sleep? Like what happens if well, we already talked about the uh, effect uh, on the heart and the blood vessels and the brain and the overall chronic disease and all-cause mortality risk of inadequate sleep being defined as less than six hours a night is the equivalent of smoking a pack of cigarettes a day. That's wild. So it depends how long you do it. It depends, you know, how consistently you have poor sleep, but mm -hmm. it's cumulative, lifetime cumulative. Mm -hmm. So guys, basically when you're skipping your full night's rest of sleep, recognize that you are slowly poisoning your own body. That's crazy. Yes. And if it's worth it to you, continue to do so. I celebrate your choices. <laughs> I celebrate your choices. <laughs> I love that. Okay. So let's dive into melatonin. Um, well, before we leave adrenaline, I want to address one please. other common source, and that is what you are reading or what you are watching on television in the hour or two before bedtime. Mm -hmm. If that's adrenaline-rich content, then it will affect your sleep. And I also recommend that you pay bills two to three hours before bedtime, not right before bedtime, Unless paying bills is boring. In, mm. in your financial life, if paying bills is boring, do it whenever you want. It doesn't matter. But if it's stressful, that level of adrenaline can interfere with your sleep. You know, it's crazy. I've never thought about the order that I do my activities can literally optimize or unoptimize my life. So to rephrase this again, that's a great tip. Paying bills, if it's something that's stressful or just any stressful activity, don't do it before bedtime, guys. It's not a good move. A lot of people that I know cannot go to sleep without watching a TV show. What do you have to say about that? If I have to listen or be stimulated by something right before I go to bed, is that a okay. red flag? No, I don't necessarily think so. And I'm one who falls asleep by preference reading. Mm. Um, uh, but I have to be careful what I'm reading. Right. If it's an I, adrenaline rich content, if I'm reading um, uh, Kidnapped by Robert Louis Stevenson, you know, mm -hmm. in the middle of that book, I'm probably not going to fall asleep for hours. I'll just keep reading. Right. And I right. won't get. <laughs> but uh, re uh, reading along those lines should be in a, uh, a room that has low level light, incandescent light, preferably not fluorescent and certainly not daylight spectrum LED. Uh, mm. That's great in the daytime, not great in the evening time. And I think I'm going to uh, segue uh, through this into, into the melatonin subject. Absolutely. So, Let's talk about it. Right. So um, 
that daylight spectrum lighting, that blue end of the light spectrum, is what stimulates your retina to shut down all melatonin production. Mm-hmm. Melatonin is your normal natural hormone that makes you drowsy at night. Well, anytime you get high levels of melatonin, it causes drowsiness, but it does more than that. When we first discovered that hormone in the body, we thought we'd found the elixir of life because it is the hormone, a melatonin is a, is a transmitter, I should say, a neurotransmitter that, that uh, triggers repair, growth, and replacement in almost every tissue in the whole body. So when we first discovered melatonin, the word on the street was this is going to be the secret to living forever. It didn't turn out quite that magical, but melatonin is important for more than sleep. So melatonin is produced in two parts of your nervous system, the brain up here and the gut. So your gut has its own brain down there, if you would, and about half and half in terms of melatonin production. The brain melatonin production is regulated by light. So when it gets dark or dim and there's less blue light in particular hitting the retina, then the brain begins to produce melatonin. It's time getting on towards time to go to sleep. We're going to start the repair and relaxation and and, uh, replenishment cycle of our life. So if I'm watching TV every night before I go to bed and preventing that blue light from... Yeah. So if you want to watch TV uh, right before going to bed or be on your phone, or be on your laptop or your iPad. It doesn't matter Guilty. where the screen comes from. Okay. Some screens have a setting for nighttime that takes all the blue out. The whole thing looks yellow-ish, mm-hmm. right? Um, that's that, that's designed to keep that blue light from hitting your retina. That's what about blue light blockers? I have blue light can. blockers. How are those? Yeah, if you get those and you if you look at your blue light blockers, they're yellow, right? And when you look right. through them. Uh, they may have a little pink, but they really should be yellow. Um, yeah, they're blocking the blue light. And yeah, that will give you less blue light hitting your retina while you're looking at the screen. So ideally, it also makes, it also makes pictures look bad and other things look funny. But So ideally, I would just altogether not look at a screen how many hours before bed? Oh, probably the last hour and a half, two hours anyways. Get, and during that time, as you're walking around the house, whatever else it is you're doing, you should be gradually turning the lights down. So ideally, we would all get off our phones two to three hours before bedtime. But knowing myself and some of our bad habits, if I am going to choose to scroll on my phone at night or I have to get work done on my laptop or I'm deciding to watch an episode of my favorite show before I go to bed, I should at least wear blue light blockers or turn it on a lower setting. Yeah. Or turn it on a setting that blocks the blue light coming through. Mm -hmm. And most phones now have those settings, most laptops and iPads Mm -hmm. do. And we don't have to go into this too in depth, but I, I think that this actually hits on a deeper issue. I think a lot of times we need constant stimulation. Like for the viewer listening, when was the last time that you actually did turn off your screens before two hours before you went to bed. For some of us, we wouldn't even know what to do with ourselves if we turned our phones off. And I think starting this practice, not only will it be good for our sleep, but starting this practice can also be a self-challenge journey of learning to be present with yourself and coming in touch with how was your day? Maybe take that moment as a check-in period to just unplug 
disconnect and come back in tune with your body, occupy your body, and actually take a second to be present with yourself, which I think for a lot of us would have benefits mentally way beyond just our sleep. Um, Absolutely. Another time, maybe we could talk about the uh, life cost of technology addiction. Um, it's very real. Planet, yeah, great. Yeah, let someone else deal with that subject. I'm not an expert, but yeah. um, if you want to amplify the brain change and help your sleep, spend the time that you would have that last 30 minutes before going to bed. Instead of scrolling through things, <laughs> sit down with a pencil and paper and write out uh, 10 or 15 things that you are grateful for mm-hmm. in that in that, that day. alone gratitude alone and incorporating that into your routine can do wonders for your health it, ch- it changes your brain waves and we can measure it on eeg we can just watch it happen in terms of electrical activity and it sets you up it for parasympathetic tone which is where you're going to be spending most of your sleep time yeah, yeah. Incredible. Okay, let's move on to the next subject. Um, so no, we're not done with melatonin. We're yet. not. Oh, sorry. I thought we were still on it. Okay, keep going. My bad. Oh, remember, <laughs> we've only talked about half of the melatonin production. Yeah. Oh, it's take it away. Right. Take it away, Dr. Guthrie. So what were we talking about before this? The other half of melatonin production is done in the gut. And it's very important not to forget that because the nerve cells in your gut brain and your gut brain is not quite as massive as the one up here in the skull, but it's, it weighs nearly as much when you add it all up. Um, it is producing melatonin only in a fasting state. So those nerve cells, if they are processing food information, are not making melatonin. You will lose half of your melatonin production if your gut is not in a fasting state. Now, how long does it take to get in a fasting state? From the last thing you ate, it takes, depending on the person, between three and six hours to get in a fasting state. So that means that three to six hours before bedtime, I should stop eating. Right. And if you're a slow processor, my gut is a slow processor. It always has been since I can re- remember. But... Um, if I eat a full meal after 3.30, 4 o'clock in the, in the afternoon, that night's sleep will not be as deep. I will waken less rested. It doesn't mean I didn't sleep, but I pay attention so that I actually notice a difference. So for me, for me and my bedtime is 10 o'clock. So for me, it actually takes close to eight hours from the last food until going to bed if I want to have the deepest rest in my sleep. So guys, if you're someone who wakes up consistently during the night, can't wake up feeling energized, you might want to consider, are you a late night snacker? Are you someone who at it hits 10, it hits midnight and you're opening the fridge, you're seeing what's left over. You might want to skip that late night meal. But Dr. Guthrie, if this has been a habit for me, if I have just made a consistent habit of grabbing a snack late at night from the fridge and turning on my favorite show without using blue light, without putting this on, like, what have I been doing health-wise? What is the damage that I'm doing to myself? Remember I said melatonin is not just about falling asleep because anyone will tell you that if I eat a high-carb snack right before bed, it helps me fall asleep. And it does. It helps you fall asleep with half of your normal amount of melatonin, so you're losing half of the regenerative, restorative benefit of that neurotransmitter 
that's supposed to be helping you heal uh, and rebuild during the night. And you won't waken as rested because mm-hmm. your brain hasn't had as much healing. Your body hasn't had as much. Healing. You won't waken as rested, even though you fell asleep and maybe stayed asleep all night. So just because I have slept a certain duration of time does not mean that I got good sleep or that my cool. body is actually in a restorative state healing itself. Yeah. Generally speaking, That's if crazy. when I wake up after eight hours of sleep, I wake up bright, alert, full of energy, ready to go, right as my feet swing out of the bed and hit the floor, I probably had a good night's sleep. But if you don't, just having been unconscious for eight hours doesn't guarantee the benefit. So to increase your melatonin production, you can stop eating three to six hours before bedtime. Um we talked about blue light, but now explain to me, what about supplements? What if like, if I'm taking melatonin before I go to sleep, does that mean that I can afford to maybe keep a little bit more blue light? I mean, sorry, keep, keep more screen time before I go to sleep. Does it offset itself? What does this mean? Right. And and it is a valid question. Um, It's a question to which we actually do not have a scientific answer as far as I know. No one has designed a study whereby you purposefully live in ways that disrupt your melatonin production and then you take melatonin and then measure to see if your sleep structure is normal. Chances are you won't get it right. Now, the amount, the normal dose that people take of melatonin is between one and three milligrams. Some people take up to six milligrams. The amount of melatonin that your body produces is measured in micrograms, not milligrams, a thousand uh, fold lower. Um, so the production that goes directly through your bloodstream into your brain uh, is is going to be different levels and hitting that right. So the next question, of course, of, well, does it hurt if I take too much? I mean, can I hurt myself with melatonin? Yeah. And do well, I need no, to you, supplement? Does everyone I, need to supplement melatonin? Whether you come from a, a creation design standpoint or an uh, evolution standpoint, uh, nobody needs to supplement melatonin. We're supposed to make our own and we're supposed to make as much as we need unless we're screwing it up. Now, uh, the, maybe the other side of the question you didn't ask is, if I'm screwing up my melatonin, do I need to take some? Yeah, probably. Yeah. Uh, but it would be better. Do you take Do you take melatonin before you go to sleep? Uh, no, not on a regular basis, because uh, long-term safety of melatonin has not been studied. We don't know. And we do know that there are any number of neurotransmitters and hormones in the body that if you don't have enough, it's not a good thing. If we give you a supplement and get you up to normal levels, that's a good thing. And if you get too much, it's another bad thing and maybe worse. There's than a not fine enough. line, right? right? So um, the it, it takes a bit of hubris to think that I'm going to get it right mm-hmm. uh, better than my evolution or creation uh, the space put me in to start with, right? So... Um, uh, Sorry for yes, go back to the other. Yeah, I ahead. do have melatonin on my shelf. Um, I for take when you need it. Yeah. Yes. When I have eaten late at night and I'm not going to, I, I can lay there and think I'm just not feeling it tonight. Yeah, I'll go take uh, melatonin. If I um, ate chocolate too late in the day, because remember, 
chocolate contains uh, theobromine, which metabolizes to caffeine. So if I've had chocolate after mm, two in the afternoon, then I'll probably be taking melatonin that night because uh, otherwise it's going to, I'm going to have trouble falling asleep, you know. Absolutely. And even like you said, even if I'm not having trouble falling asleep, that doesn't mean that it's not going to affect the quality of my sleep. Correct. In my body. Um, so what about sleep hygiene? Let's talk about this practically. Um, we've talked about light. We've talked about not eating too late. But tell us a little bit more about how we can keep good sleep hygiene to optimize our life. Right, so if I'm having, if you're having trouble sleeping and you've optimized your melatonin, you've optimized your adrenaline um, through the means that we've talked about, but you're still having trouble, there's some other things to think about. Um, the air, air, sleep is best when the air is cold and fresh. Okay, so cold air, fresh air. Um, for most people, that means opening a window and having a some sort of a blanket comforter situation that'll keep you warm while your air that you're breathing in is cool. How cold? I don't know of any solid. How cold numbers. is too cold? <laughs> it's interesting. So much on preference. Like I, I personally, I know sleeping cold is better for you, and I have a hard time doing it when I'm cold. I can't, I can't fall asleep very easily. No, I can't fall asleep at all when I'm cold. Right? You should never be cold when you're falling asleep. The air should be cold. The air should be, okay. But As you should be warm in, with the blanket. You okay. should be warm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, um, uh, you know, personally, I'm not a big sheet and blanket fan. We use down comforters and we have a summer one and a winter one. And, it, you know, you can stay plenty warm. Yeah. If you've ever done any camping or backpacking and slept in a minus 20 down bag at zero degrees, you sleep deep and well because you're toasty warm mm -hmm. and the air you're breathing, air is, breathing cold. is cold. What is it about cold air that is good for you when you sleep. I've not heard an uh, adequate physiologic explanation as to why that's true, but, uh, but it just you'll, is. Find, you'll find it in pretty much all the sleep literature. Okay. Second thing to look at is uh, probably light in the room. Mm -hmm. Most of us have a clock in the room. Um, if that clock has green or blue numbers, instead of red numbers, then you're getting blue wavelength light, which will be disturbing to some degree. Some people are very light sensitive. So it's best to have uh, lights off in the bedroom, a dark bedroom, which means this far north in the summertime, if you're having difficulty sleeping for eight hours, having a way to have dark when it's not dark out. So why do some people feel like they need light when they sleep. I know people who can't sleep without a nightlight. Is that disrupting their sleep? It is disrupting their sleep. There's no doubt about it. You asked a different question, which was why do they need light? Um, you'd have to ask their limbic system, the fight, flight, freeze, uh, savior of mankind that is in our lizard brain mm -hmm. that tells us danger, danger. But that is probably, and there may be some early childhood things, or maybe some things learned from watching their parents. There's, there's all kinds of reasons, but uh, it really should be dark. Um, if uh, you want to try and have a dark sleep, but not trip over things at night, Having a nightlight that has a, a dark shade over the top of it so it lights mm -hmm. only the floor 
is a good uh, starting point. And sleeping with a sleeping mask that uh, makes your eyes dark until you pull it up. If you need to get out of bed and go do something or you want to see something, you can pull it up and look and then put it back down. And in the, in the summertime, that's what I do. I, I have a mask by my bed and at about four o'clock between sleep cycles, when I wake up, I put the mask on because it's going to be light soon and I don't want to be awake. So the next thing that will tend to disturb people's sleep is the uh, is noise. Uh, and different people are more visually sensitive and more auditorily sensitive. So you'll know who you are, which thing disturbs you more. But if noises tend to keep you awake, then having white noise in the room to generate a just a noisy background uh, that is constant is a great way to uh, keep those things from disturbing your sleep. The next area to look at if you're still having uh, trouble with sleep is to look for electromagnetic frequency radiation in your bedroom. Now, the most common source of that is your phone, because as you said, most people want to go to sleep with their phone and wake up with their phone. The phone- Like an really, emotional attachment, like a, people like uh, sleep right next to it. And, yeah. and I've spent a number of years doing that myself. Um, I My new habit that, that has been now for the last five or 10 years, my phone sleeps out in the kitchen that's where the charger is so do you that's have an where... actual alarm clock in your room yes mm-hmm. yeah yeah i have a clock with numbers um and uh because i've been too cheap to buy a new one the current one has green numbers but it ought to have red numbers today's podcast is brought to you by the premium center for regenerative medicine and stem cell therapy in the northwest northwest center for regenerative medicine get back to the activities that you love without needing surgery you can book your appointment at nwc4rm.com. Again, that's nwc4rm.com. This podcast is also brought to you by Rare Wellness Supplements. You can head over to rareplanethealth.com to get your supplements. My personal favorite is the premium fish oil filled with omega-3s. Again, you can go to rareplanethealth.com and get the supplements that you most need to support your health and wellness today. Lastly, this podcast is also brought to you by Rare Wellness. Rare Wellness is located on the South Hill in Spokane and is one center that provides all the wellness tools that you could need. Whether you're looking for a hands-on premium intimate yoga studio with a therapeutic emphasis, bar classes, Tai Chi classes, if you're looking for skincare treatments, injectable, hydrofacial, microneedling, organic spa treatments, if you're wanting to get therapeutic massage or book functional medicine appointments to get down to the root cause of your inflammation, Rare Wellness is the place for you. Whatever your wellness needs are, they have it covered. So to book your appointment today, go to rarewellness.com. Again, go to rarewellness.com and mention this podcast for 10% off when you're booking. Okay, time to get back to the episode. Okay, I've also seen this trend online where people are switching out their bedroom lights to be red. Is red light going to help them fall asleep? And is that something that if you're really into biohacking or looking to optimize your life, is that worth it? No, I'm not aware of any wavelength of light that helps you fall asleep. Um, the normal sleep cycle, uh, probably considering where civilization began, as far as we know, it's historically is equatorial. So there's not a lot of difference between spring and summer and you sleep when it's dark and you're awake when it's not dark. 
-hmm. So I'm not aware of any wavelength of light that's helpful for falling asleep. But if you have to have light, red is the least disruptive. It's at the farthest end away from the blue, Mm -hmm. uh, which is the one that's going to stimulate you to wakefulness. Love it. Was there more on sleep hygiene that we wanted to cover? Uh, well, the electromagnetic frequency, oh, yes. I t- touched on the on the phone, um, Wi-Fi, some people are sensitive enough to Wi-Fi that they can actually sense it. Um, and those people probably should turn their house Wi-Fi off during the night. Um, uh, and then there are a few people, it's not common, but there are a few people who are sensitive to electromagnetic radiation coming off of and I'll put it in quotations, dirty sockets. That is, you have a wire coming in and a couple of plugs and some wires going around and there's there's solid contact and not quite solid contact. There's a fair amount of electromagnetic frequency that radiates out when the contact is not great. And uh, I've known a few patients that had to actually get a meter to test the amount of radiation coming out of the plugs and then use a a remedial plug that kind of fixes all that or have an electrician come in and address it um, to get their sleep back to normal. And one place to think about if you're having trouble sleeping is, is there a dimmer switch near where you sleep that's dimmed? Because when you dim a dimmer switch, you create a very significant uh, outflow of radiation, electromagnetic radiation, because of the way that dimming works on a dimmer Mm. switch. Wow. So many hacks. This is one of the things that I love about functional medicine is that it's about optimizing your life. We're not just looking at how to get you to survival level, but I mean, I would never think about half of the things that you've mentioned as things that can affect my sleep. And then if I don't get the right amount of sleep, like you said at the beginning, I'm literally slowly killing myself. That's crazy. Okay, so there is so much more that we can go over when it comes to sleep and optimizing our lifestyle so that we can get the proper amount of sleep. Um, But we're going to do a separate episode on that. Dr. Guthrie, we end every episode with just a practical tip that our listeners can take and start applying to their life today. So if someone was going to start trying to get their sleep in order, what is one thing that they should start doing today? Of course, we've talked about a number of simple things that are critical, but one that we haven't talked about that I think is a very important one is the subject of alcohol. Um, It's uh, easy to think of alcohol as something that helps you sleep, but alcohol, as long as it's being processed in your system, completely disrupts your normal sleep structure. It does it the same as we earlier discussed uh, sleep medications will do. And um, so... Any alcohol that you're going to consume really should be completely processed out of your system before you lay down to sleep. And by that, I mean your blood alcohol level should be zero, which, as you know, is any number of hours, depending on how much you've been drinking. So uh, So if you're going to drink, do it as soon as you wake up. (laughs) That's... That, okay. Yeah. So if you're going um, to drink uh, and you have sleep troubles, drink at lunch or drink or a glass don't. of wine with dinner, but have dinner at four in the afternoon or five. And even still, it's probably not going to be all the way down to zero by the time you fall asleep. One glass of wine, probably, but okay. three, probably yeah. not. Yeah. Three. 
Probably not. Okay, well, thank you so much, Dr. Guthrie. I always love talking to you. I feel like I learned so much. For all of our listeners, thank you guys so much for listening to this podcast. And I hope that you learned something that is going to be able to optimize your life and just give you the tools that you need to thrive. Um, DM us on Instagram with your questions. We're going to start incorporating that into the next episode. So really excited to hear what questions you guys have for us to ask the experts. And next time we talk to you, Dr. Guthrie, we're probably going to have some. So I'm excited to explore that. Um, Again, be sure to subscribe, to follow guys. Dr. Guthrie, thank you so much for joining me on this episode.